Hi folks, a little bit of housekeeping before we start this podcast. Uh, this podcast was recorded a few days ago with Irish journalist Owen Gil Martin, who's based in Madrid and covered the awful, tragic and murderous events at the Moroccan-Spanish border. Uh, obviously, reports vary on the numbers of people dead and it's very hard to track, but uh, we'll get into details in the podcast about that. Um Please, please do consider supporting the, this podcast, uh, this platform, the Tortoise Shack itself. We rely on you. We rely on listeners. It's a very simple transaction. It's once a month. It's patreon.com forward slash Tortoise Shack. You go in, you pick a level, you sign up. And uh, if you're at the 550 level, you get all these podcasts as quickly as we can turn them around. And that means lots and lots of additional content. Right now up there is a conversation I had last night with a UUP member, LGBT activist and um political nerd Michael Palmer on on the breakdown in Westminster what the protocol means to unionist culture and and a lot more besides uh, great first time ever speaking to Michael and I don't think it'll be the last uh, there's also an unbelievable conversation about a uh, trans woman who built a a clinic in a tractor barn to administer trans healthcare uh, fascinating story uh, that'll be up for patrons very very soon uh, Niall, Niall Sargent from the journal joined us to discuss uh, the noteworthy investigation into nothing else but chicken shit and believe me uh, it's uh, another brilliant deep dive by the, the guys in Noteworthy uh, and coming soon over the next 24 hours John Harris from the Guardian will join us the former political commentator of the year to talk about what's happening in Westminster uh, or, or anywhere but Westminster as John likes to frame it and we have one of the authors of the report into how a generation of young adults are unable to leave home and how they're being failed by housing policy from the ESRI. Barra Rowntree, economist Barra Rowntree will join us. All of those will be on patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack as quickly as I can turn them around as well as a gazillion other podcasts. And you don't have to listen to me plead for your support. Uh, thanks, thanks for listening. Do spread the word if you can't uh, join us and enjoy what is uh, unfortunately a very dark topic. Uh, Fortress EU is something that we all have to reckon with. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. My name is Tony Groves and I'm back flying solo. Uh, his nibs is unwell again and uh, we are actually, you know what, I'm going to be honest for once actually. I hope he gets, I hope he gets, it feels a bit better today because uh, generally I give him an awful time, but I will tell listeners what I did communicate with him first. I said, I have broken my big toe. I have. It's and it's total agony. But the good news is it's swollen up so much that if I just draw two eyes and a mouth on it, it looks like Martin. So it's like he's here with me anyway. <laughs> but as mean as that is, uh, and as, as as stupid as it is, I um I do have to move on to some really dark topics today. And I want to remind um listeners that We've often spoken about Fortress Europe on the Tortoise Shack and, and, and what that means. We've seen events in, on, in Greece. We've seen events in Spain. We've seen events in, in Hungary. We've seen all of these things. Um, and we've also, you know, kind of, co- we've covered Spain quite a bit with Joe Haslam and, and, and the events in Catalonia. But we've kind of given it, maybe we've been a bit soft on what's happened in Spain because we believe that the government themselves to be maybe a bit of the left. So maybe we've been a bit, a bit too kind to them. And events in the last few days have certainly um, given, given me pause to, to reflect on that. So I'm joined by a journalist who's written with Jacobin and the Tribune magazine, and he has his own podcast uh, based, on, based on Spanish politics, uh, the, the Sombra cast, uh, Owen Gilmartin. And the link for that will be in the, in the pod, folks. So you can just click on it if you want to go and listen to Owen um, without having to listen to me. Owen, thanks for joining us. Hey, Tony, great to be here. Look, 
this, as I said at the outset, maybe we've been a bit soft uh, myself on, on Spain because we've covered it with, as, as you know, pretty frequently with, with Joe Haslam and a um, couple of uh, uh, Spanish MEPs and, and the likes. And uh, we were maybe maybe thinking that, you know, because they have this left wing leaning that maybe this yeah. kind of idea of Fortress Europe is not as bad as it seems. You were covering the awful events and like, I mean, the, the title of, of the podcast you did is Massacre in Malaya. So we know well what this means. 37 people uh, yeah. you've written were murdered on. Can you just yeah. give, like if people are, if people have had their eyes closed and their ears not listening, just explain what happened and how that awful, um, those awful scenes uh, unfolded yeah. because it's really grim. Oh, it's, no, it's so grim. Um, I mean, the, the exact death toll is still not clear. Um, 37 is what a lot of international NGOs are saying. Others, I've heard 27, 45. The Moroccan authorities are sticking to 23. But in any case, you know, it's a shocking, shocking death toll. Um, seemingly, this has been coming for weeks. The NGOs have been talking about a ramping up of violence against immigrants over the last month or so. And particularly over the last week leading up to last Friday's um, um, violence, the night before, the night before the immigrant camps, there um, a lot of sub-Saharan immigrants tend to live about five five to ten kilometers outside of the Moroccan city of Nador, um, which is on the border of the Spanish enclave Malia, and they live they they live in the forest in the sort of mountainous forests. Um, and try and try and find opportunities to to scale the fence. Um, we're talking about some of the most desperate um, um, African refugees or, or immigrants because these are the people who don't have the resources to buy to buy buy their way onto a boat um, to Europe. So they're only some of them have spent up to two years living in these forests, waiting to try and get over get over the fence. Uh, Spain and Morocco signed a new immigration treaty or uh, agreement in April. And since then, there's been a, a ramping up of violence, um, intimidation, forced um, forced removal of immigrants from, from the, north, the north of Morocco all the way to the south, um, sexual attacks on women, raids, raids of the camps. And Thursday night seemed to be a particularly vicious raid. They went in, um, the, the police went in with extreme violence using, using tear gas, using rubber bullets, etc., and that seemed to, to, to be the trigger for then the, um, the migrants. I think it was a group of maybe 1,500 migrants deciding to, to, to march en masse and try and scale the, scale the wall, largely in desperation. You know, they've mm. been stuck. Some of them, have, as I said, have been stuck there for two, two years. So early, early last Friday morning, about 8 o'clock, they, they made their way down from the mountains towards the Spanish enclave of, of Malia. And... Um, some of them, some of them did have, you know, uh, through stones at, at police. Some of them had sticks and stuff, but they were met by just uh, waves of brutal violence. Um, the the Moroccan police seemed to 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 undertake this sort of pincer movement that came from both sides and trapped hundreds along along the border fence. And the the big problem seemed to be that there was a, a trench just underneath this six meter high fence. Uh, you know, it's. It, sort of operates like a moat and makes it more difficult to, to climb the fence. And hundreds of people got trapped in this moat as the, the Moroccan police threw stones, tear gassed and, and, and beat the, the, uh, the migrants. And so, you know, there's, there's videos, for example, of um, 
of of the Moroccan police then um, tear gassing and, and shooting rubber bullets as people try to climb the fence. You know, the, there's people like six meters high fall, falling to the ground. Um, and probably most shocking of all has been that they were then denied medical attention for hours. Yeah, they were left lying there. Was there. Pe- yeah, like up to, you know, um, up to eight, 10 hours, no medical attention, people with fractures, broken bones. And the local human rights association in Nador have said at least some of the deaths were caused by the fact that they weren't, these people didn't research, receive medical attention. And this, the videos are shocking. You can't, no. you know, you can't distinguish the living from the dead. They're just sort of piled on top of each other. Some are handcuffed, you know, some are just unconscious. You know, they've been out in the sun, you know, the hot sun for like eight, 10 hours. Um, and, 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 and there's allegations and again, see, we've had this huge issue since the war in Ukraine kicked off, whereby we've seen it in Ireland. We've seen chaos in, in our direct provision centers recently, you know, with um, substandard food, substandard provision of services uh, and, U- and Ukrainian refugees arriving and being able to get PPS numbers, medical cards and, yeah. and immediately into the workforce. And we see this two tier system. Yeah, And we have to call it what it is. There's a systemic racism in some of this. And I know that that's some of the allegations at this because because many of the, the biggest cohort of people who are fleeing were from war torn South Sudan. I mean, yeah. like we, we only have to look at what's happening in, in Sudan currently. We could add Libya to the mix. We can add all of these places. That, and there's also, let's tell the truth, people emerging from a pandemic and, and into, the, into this situation. I mean, I read a report this morning about even the cost of food in, in these countries. Uh, we're, we, we're going on about the cost of living crisis. Yeah. They're fleeing famine, you know, yeah. because, because they can't yeah. afford the grain to feed, to feed their, the, the, whether it be cattle or, or graze sheep or any of these things. So, so this huge, it's a huge problem here. And it's happening in the EU effectively, or at the EU's behest. Let's let's be clear on this. Just because yeah. we've outsourced it to Morocco and Turkey yeah. and these places, it's happening because we're actually doing it. Exactly. I mean, that's I mean, that's the other question. So you you have these, you know, what 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 seems intentional state murder. I mean, you know, um, for example, the the ex-Podemos leader Pablo Iglesias described it as, you know, actions un- undertaken by the uh, Moroccan security forces that aim to kill. But the level of violence, you know, the NGOs, the immigrants all said they've never seen that level of violence against, against, um, against, uh, used against immigrants. But they, the, you know, the Spanish police were complicit in this from the start. It seemed to be a coordinated operation. Moroccan police were operating on Spanish soil, uh, removing the immigrants back, back, who got over the fence back across. There were baton charges involving both, both Spanish and Moroccan police. Spain's social democratic prime minister thanked the Moroccan police. Which, which is kind of gross, wasn't it? It, it, no, it, it, was, it, was, it was every trope that you've ever heard, folks. Every trope about, you know, the way, and I want to remind you again, go back to 2019 when the Fine Gael MEPs voted with, um, with, with Fidesz and to say, you know, on a, on a rescue ships in the Mediterranean bill and, you know, the, the right celebrated that effectively we wouldn't be doing search and rescue at sea. Uh, so, so don't think, don't think for a moment that we don't have, you know, we're not complicit in this ourselves here. But they, when they were asked, when I remember when Maid McGuinness was challenged about this, she she said, you know, oh, we're cutting down on the on the the people, the the people smugglers. We're cutting down on. We're going to come back with a new bill, a better way to do this. And it was very much the same um, playbook used by the Spanish yeah. government, wasn't it? Yeah. No. Exactly. I mean, yeah. Pedro Sanchez blamed 
blamed the attack on the mafia. He described it as a as a violent and well organized assault that constituted an attack on the integrity of Spanish territory. Attack on the integrity of Spanish territory. It was you know fifteen fifteen hundred desperate um, asylum seekers who had you know who were living in the forest because they couldn't afford. I mean that's the thing. There was no you know I've I've listened to you know various interviews with you know NGOs. I've talked to people on the ground. The you know there's not. This wasn't, you know, this. There aren't people smugglers involved in this. It's just just like desperate refugees, um, and yeah, I mean, I think that's it is like the criminalization of of, of asylum seekers. I mean, the 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 people who actually make it from South Sudan to Spain, over ninety percent of their applications for asylum are approved. You know, it's a it's a you know it's a civil war. It's a war zone. So the problem is they have. A legitimate claim, but the problem is they have to risk their life to actually try and get to Spanish soil to to make the application for asylum, and that's I mean that that's obviously the difference. You have an you know and rightfully so the, you know the for the the refugees coming from Ukraine, you have an open border policy. You know I think there's 130 thousand Ukrainians currently in um, in Spain, but yeah, I mean in the last in the last few years, it started just before the pandemic. There's been a huge increase. In the number of deaths and and the number of people trying to reach reach Spain, yeah, but it's fair, be, it's fair to say that some of that is because other routes were closed off in other. No, that's counts. totally it. Like I, that's why it started before the pandemic. So I think you know for a number for a number of years, the, you know, you had the Turkish route and you had the Af- um, the the Libyan the Libyan route, hmm. um, and yeah, a lot of people who would have who would have come, such as the Sudanese, would have normally gone via Libya to Italy. That route's now completely closed. The le- you know, I mean, people are held in in awful conditions there. The level of torture, violence used against the immigrant population is incredible. Um, and so they're moving across Algeria. I mean, that's there is a geopolitical element to this, and that's that Algeria seems to have opened its borders more as a as a punishment against Spain because Spain have, have been doing deals with Morocco recently. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, people are just desperate. You have most. You know, I think in 2018, 2019, about 800 migrants, um, immigrant people died trying to reach Spanish uh, Spanish soil. That went to two, 2000 in 2020. And last year was 4,300 people died. The vast majority trying to reach the Canary Islands. Yeah, they, the West African they, coast. They died on little boats in the middle yeah. of, in the middle of the and ocean. There's no videos, so we don't. No. There's no. There's no outrage. And, um, and and more importantly, there's there's no attempts to to actually um, do that search and rescue. I mean, it's one of the no. it, you know like like, like we, the 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 money comes out of my account every, every month for the for the search and rescue as as one of the things I give to. And I always think to myself, going like. Like it's terrible that that that's the that that's where we're we're at, whereby we know that this work is happening. And if you weren't actually, if I wasn't receiving the weekly, uh, week, the monthly update, you wouldn't have a clue about these figures. Yeah, it's it's yeah. absolutely horrendous when you when you think about it. And again, this Europe is culpable, We're absolutely culpable uh, here, when, because this is what we've 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 done. But I want to bring it back to 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 Spain itself. Um. You know the the Spanish government, much like some of the other, uh, like you know, we've seen the fallout, the polarization. We've seen the the, the breakdown in 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 Spain itself. It's had issues, obviously, with with the Catalan referendum. Referendum. We've also seen post post global financial crisis. You know, high youth unemployment. Where are people looking for hope? And many countries turned 
further right. We see that, you know, with what happened with the US. We see what's happening, playing out in front of our eyes in, in the UK. Uh, we see it with Hungary. Sadly, we see it with Poland. But Spain um, seemed to reject that to a large degree and think, you know, we'll, we'll, they, they shifted a bit more to the left. Uh, but you argue the point that, that that's not necessarily, well, well maybe the, the, the overall uh, headline um, grabbing stuff is, is more socialist or more social democratic. The actual implementation of policies has not backed that up. Yeah, I mean, it's complicated. No, I mean, I think we have to go back. I mean, when, we, when Spain did shift to the, left, to the left around 2015, there was a possibility of a much more radical government at, at that moment. Um, you would have had a government in which the Social Democrats, the uh, Socialist Party and uh, Podemos and, and its allies would have basically been uh, equal in terms of in terms of seats, in terms of votes. The, when the, the, the old guards of the Socialist Party blocked, along with media powers and, and the economic elites, blocked, blocked the government at that moment. And you, you had a situation which you had four general elections in four years. It was sort of an exhausting moment where in 2005, the elections in December 2015 was a very positive moment. People voted for change, for Podemos, etc. But the government, you know, even though there was a clear a clear majority, much clearer than there is now supporting this the current government, mm. the there was no left-wing government. You know, you had six months of no of, of just institutional blockage, followed by another election in which Pedro Sanchez at that moment tried to form a left government against the old guard of his party and was removed. And you had, you know, a, a right-wing government installed with the backing of the of, of the socialists. And, you know, so you just had slowly an undermining of, of that optimism, the ebbing of, of, of that sort of left-wing wave. And by the time, instead of instead of forming a left-wing government at that moment, just after the sort of series of moments, et cetera, in, um, er, late 2015, early th- 2016, what you had was four years of in- institutional blockage and the government came, came, came to office January 2020, two months before the pandemic. Mm. And so it was a different government in which the, the Socialist Party, the centre-left Socialist Party was much more dominant in which Podemos, Unidos Podemos had five ministries, but really the only important one was, was, was the Labour ministry. And so they, you know, they didn't, they didn't yeah. hold any so, of So they don't, they didn't have the levers of power. Basically, yeah. yeah. It, and it, it, was, it reminds me of our current, our current thing where uh, I, I spoke to the Minister for Housing, Dara O'Brien, in this little room where I'm sitting yeah. um, about a year ago. And I said to him, you have all these plans for your housing policy, but I, uh, but Pascal Donahue's not going to pull the lever that, that makes it rain cash on you. And he said, not at all, not at all. And we, you exactly. know, lo and behold, yeah. here we are yeah. proven correct. Like yeah. you can have all the plans you want, but you need, you need, you need the finance minister to, to back yeah. it up. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's the thing. So they, like in the, in the program for government, they negotiated, for example, rent controls, which still haven't arrived. We've had negotiations and negotiations. The PESOA, the Socialist Party do not want to impose how, um, rent, rent controls on, on, uh, Blackstone, et cetera. No. Um, and, there have, you know, I think in the areas in the areas in which Podemos have ministries, there have been some very interesting policies, particularly in the equality um, equality ministry and in the labour ministry. And I think, you know, it was always going to be a defensive coalition, just trying to, it, you know, it wasn't going to be a transform transformative coalition. But I think until about January this year, February, until the war, basically, I was 
cautiously optimistic that, okay, what it has at least achieved is the, le- the left has managed to sort of renew its leadership um, after, you know, Pablo Iglesias having fought four general elections in four years was sort of a, an exhausted candidate. The coalition managed to sort of renew that with the new Labour minister, et cetera. But, you know, they're just internationally and now in Spain as part of that, there has been a shift to the right with uh, with the Ukraine war and a sort of uniformity in, in policy. You can see that with you know Sweden and Finland uh, in terms of the Kurds. We can and see we can see our own uh, our own Taoiseach at a, at a NATO dinner in your where you are uh, this week. Yeah, and one of, one of the things one of the one of the the things the Spanish got on the on the agenda was that you know um, irregular immigration is now considered a hybrid hybrid threat or hybrid attack. No, um, so you know you see the sort of weaponization of of immigration in that sense. And hang on, go back you know, on that. Go back on. Go back on. Yeah, that. irregular so, immigration is now a hybrid threat to security. Yeah, and this is. I mean, there there is. I mean, that's the thing. There isn't. I mean. It should, you know, we've got to avoid the militarization of the, of this issue. But I think, in a sense, Europe and the EU have sort of left themselves open to this by outsourcing outsourcing it to authoritarian regimes, who then, you know, have no scruples in in using that uh, that power against Europe in their negotiations. So last last year in May 2021, the Moroccans opened the border at the other Spanish enclave in North Africa, Ceuta, and between eight and ten thousand people rushed across in a 24-hour period. And that was done to put pressure on the Spanish government to back Morocco's position on Western Sahara, um, which is a former Spanish colony. It's Africa's last colony. Um, Spain, Spain pulled out a few days before Franco died in 1975, and the Moroccans invaded. Mm. Under, under international law, Western Sahara has a right to self-determination, but it's, they've had a, a brutal occupation regime there for the last 40 years. Um, Freedom House, the the, US, uh, the UK-based uh, think tank, describes it as one of the, the least free territories in the world. I think it's like one point above um, North Korea or something. Like the level of, of violence and repression is incredible. And so, in one of one of Donald Trump's last foreign policy um, decisions was to to become the first major company uh, country to recognize Moroccan sovereignty over Western Sahara, hmm. and that, that has shifted the international consensus. Morocco, Morocco was then heavily, or this was heavily criticized by Europe. And in retaliation, Morocco withdrew its ambassadors to, to Germany and Spain. Um, and it put, put a lot of pressure on Germany in terms of uh, freezing its green energy. You know, Morocco is going to be a huge exporter of green energy to Europe in the, ne- in the next decades, hmm. uh, in particularly renewable gas, sort of green, so-called green hydrogen. So you know, and this goes. We maybe talk this another time, but like yeah, yeah, green, we'll, we'll, we'll green, come back. green we'll colonialism. Yeah, yeah, green colonialism is going to be a huge thing with Morocco. So like you know, you have you're gonna. It's it's like that that um that cycle, no, where you have you know, Africa is used as a sort of place to extract cheap resources and externalize the cost of that extraction, um, while at the same time you bar you bar the gates for immigrants mm-hmm. who are who are trying to then, then flee these areas. And so Morocco basically have let you know they leveraged immigration against the Spanish, opening opening the border at Ceuta last year. And the the background to to this, uh, this year's tra- tragedy was was they also they seemed to open up the border again in February, and at that point 
the Spanish government sued for peace. They didn't want to destabilize border to their south uh, at the moment when war was kicking off in Ukraine. And so Pedro Sanchez made a historic uh, policy shift backing Moroccan, a Moroccan plan for the incorporation of Western Sahara in, into the uh, Moroccan state. Now, this is under, you know... Under international this is, law, this is very, this is very yeah, problematic for beginning. But, under, but inter, under international law, Spain is still the administrating power of Western Sahara, who is charged and responsible for the decolonization process. No other, no other country in Europe uh, failed to decolonize. You know, after long struggles, obviously that wasn't, you know, they didn't do it out of the goodness of their own heart. But the only, the only European colony which hasn't been decolonized in Africa is Western Sahara. Mm. And uh, Spain, Spain, under pressure via immigration from Morocco, have, have, have moved on that. And that's, you know, you have to understand for Sp- the Spanish left and for his own party, like the socialists, Western Sahara is sort of like Palestine for a lot of other people or Tibet, et cetera. It's, you know, it's an it's a international struggle very close to the left. And this, you know, it was a complete sellout of the, of this, of the independence struggle there. Mm. And uh, can I can I come in and yeah, just sorry. say also we only have to look at the betrayal and it hasn't yet played out yet but the betrayal of the Kurdish people only this yeah, week as what as what has and Erdogan has has weaponized his uh, uh, the migration yeah. crisis to actually bring the US to to guarantee him F-16 fighter jets uh, and Sweden has sold out uh, hugely and has yeah. agreed and has agreed to um, effectively. Uh, hand over people and call them terrorists. You know, uh, like this is this is a huge betrayal playing out again. And I saw the pictures last night of Erdogan and um, and Boris Johnson uh, and and Joe Biden laughing and yeah. giggling. And, and you just think to yourself, "Wow, this is uh, this is not a healthy um, democracy. Uh, this is not the way we want to be. We want to be doing business." But this is how it seems to be played out. Fortress, yeah. Euro- Fortress Europe has outsourced. It's cruelty, and now the bill is coming due. Yeah, and I mean, I I reported on the immigration crisis from the from the Canaries last last September. We went, I went with another Irish journalist. We wrote a few pieces, and you know, when you actually start talking to the people, you know, the people who've made these journeys, some of them coming from places like Senegal, you know, more, spending three weeks on a on a small uh, wooden boat on the Atlantic Ocean. Um, and the things they describe during these journeys, I mean, that what, what we're put, putting these people through, I mean, you know, and these are young kids, like a lot of them were sort of 17, 18, 19, and they're describing how they had to throw bodies, you know, at, a, at, some, at some point the water just runs out and they have to try and keep going and reach the Canaries and they're throwing bodies overboard. And now, you know, they're there in, we were in Gran Canaria in Las Palmas, the capital. I remember talking to one guy, just really, you know, really nice guy. And he's, he's there begging outside a bakery. He's, he's uh, you know, barefoot, etc. This, this is like Europe this is a holiday destination. And these people are just left having gone through this trauma. I mean, talking to NGOs there and people working for the, the regional government, they're just overwhelmed. They're getting, you know, thousands of people. Um, the trauma, these people, like, you know, they need psychological counseling, etc. And they're just being forgotten. Um and, and can, I, can, I, can we come right back to to Malia, if you don't mind? Yeah. The 
because I, I mean, I accept what, everything you've said. We know that there are people arrived who need, uh, they arrive into direct, direct vision centers in Ireland and they need psychiatric ac- assessments. They need mental health uh, uh, supports. They need all of these things. And yet they could be thrown into a room with other people who have mental health issues. And it's, you know, it, it's, but coming back to what, what actually happened this week, will anybody be held accountable? That's the question. I mean, what, ha- what happened in the immediate aftermath and this is, you know, these are again common practices of fortress Europe. Was that the thousands or so people who were who were det- detained by the Moroccan security forces were all moved 600 kilometers to the south? They were all, de- you know, forcefully displaced. So it's very hard. It's been very hard even for media on the ground to try and try and get in contact with these people, take testimonies, etc. Um, the other thing that happened was basically straight away the Moroccan authorities tried to. You know, dug graves and it, if it wasn't for an international outcry they seemed to they were going to basically bury the bodies quickly without identification and without autopsies so the families wouldn't be informed there would be no attempt to identify who the victims were and they would have just been buried without an autopsy i don't know like i mean with, there, there needs to be an independent investigation an international investigation because you see it a lot of times with you know the the Public prosecuting the office in, in Spain will investigate it and they'll just cover it up. Um, and, you know, for example, going back to the Canaries, there was a huge uh, public outrage. You might remember it did make international news about a pier in Gran Canaria where 2,000 migrants were basically being kept in unsanitary conditions for, for weeks on end. And, you know, the, the investigation into that was just complete whitewash. And so there is a sense there has to be an independent investigation, preferably internationally, with you know guarantees because both, but I think both you know both Spain and, and and Morocco, their plan is to you know is to move on as quickly as possible and you know not acknowledge the gravity of the situation. I mean, they, Pedro Sanchez has slightly softened his tone, but he hasn't he hasn't been willing to condemn the police actions by by Morocco. I mean, the other the other thing we have to, you know, what is the level of complicity of the Spanish the Spanish government in this operation? Because, you know, those people who were critically injured were lying there for you know six, eight, ten hours, and ju- along the border fence and ac- just across the fence, there were Spanish emergency services, ambulances. You know, none of them none of them intervened. And so, what what were the orders, etc.? Like all this needs to be investigated because, yeah, I mean, thirty seven people were killed you know brutally killed and some some in with inte- you know intentional negligence of just leaving them there in the, in the in the sun for hours i mean it's 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 barbarous yeah and i think that is i think there should be an outcry and i hate to, i hate doing what about re it's but sometimes it's relevant we have to talk about the 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 value we put on lives once we once we dehumanize people see the language that we've even used on this podcast where we're saying asylum seekers illegal immigrants yeah. illegal once we start that we create the outgroup and that means that we can therefore somehow attribute fewer rights to these people and no pe- yeah. no nobody is illegal you know, no person is born illegal. That that's just not exactly. That's, that's just not how it should operate. And uh, oh, sorry, yeah, no, I was just, just going to say, like in, in in those terms, no, like um, again, um, Spanish media have been criticised by using for using terms like mass incursion. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking because you know, even in terms of the total number of 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 of, of uh, people who re- who reached Spain from Africa last year, I think it was eighty eighty five thousand, which is you know. 
it is less than than it's less than about the number of um immigrants coming from 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 Latin America, many of them from countries like Venezuela who are who are who are given a very easy pass to get to, to get residency and asylum status, etc. Um, so they're less than that, and they're they're far less than the, the Ukrainian population. That's that's not to say one is more you know more mm. legitimate than the other. It's just to say that we have the capacity to take these people in. It's not you know the, this this sort of these images of like you know yeah mass incursions like this as in this sort of like hordes yeah. trying to trying to get in. You're talking fifteen hundred people. It's not you know it's it's not overwhelming if 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 uh, if we're organized etc. And yeah, I mean the other thing is I I recently as part of the was regional elections in Andalusia. I was down in Malaga to visit my my sister who was over, and and. The last day during the the election campaign, there was a big Fox rally in in Marbella, so an extreme right rally, and I mean the level of the rhetoric, the the Italian far right leader from Fratelli Fratelli d'Italia, the Italian Brotherhood Party, who's now uh, leading the polls in Italy, she came over and gave a you know this sort of fire and brimstone speech in in, in very good Spanish, um, but it was you know yeah all focused on. These images in Spain now, where you have the yeah, this, the criminalization of 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 migrants that they're sort of these marauding gangs who are you know committing committing rapes, etc. I mean, it's just you know just complete bullshit. But um, that that's the image that's been reinforced and reinforced uh, across right wing media. Yeah, but unfortunately, Vox has uh, broken through in in on regional governments and in regional and into the European Parliament now, and we're finding as we go back to where we started this. Um, you know, where are we negligent thinking Spain has gone to the left and we were, do we think that there, there was, we didn't have this threat wasn't real. It's very real. It's very real everywhere, but it's, it's particularly clear to see there. I mean, we talked to regularly talked to Joe Pina from the, he's the vice deputy leader of the Portuguese um, Partido Socialista, but unlike, unlike uh, what you were outlining, when they got the opportunity, they went in with the Communist Party. They went in with the with the hodgepodge of, of left independence, and it didn't necessarily work. Well, did they? I don't know. Like, I mean, they did to the extent. No, that's it, my I point. Mean, it did, yeah. it, but three times they 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 at least pulled the ripcord yeah. on it and went went went. Well, I think it was it was always a little bit different because I think that was the thing in 2015. It would have been an equal coalition, whereas hmm. in in Portugal it was never equal. The left no, no. was always going to be going to be junior and. I think that's the thing is that you had the Portuguese way, which was offering offering parliamentary support from outside the government, and that you know they were wiped out in the in the elections before Christmas. And I think that's that has been one consideration for the left here is that I mean, if they pull out a government, they will just be blamed. And there is a sense, and I think that was the problem was that you know it wasn't a remarkable government, but at least until you know there there was a sense that okay. In terms of labor rights, there there has been a, a progressive labor reform, which has increased, you know, increased trade union rights. It has also, you know, lifted, you know, hundreds of thousands of people in the last six months have have had their temporary contracts changed to permanent ones, etc. So within the areas in which they had had some, uh, they had ministerial seats, there have been advances, but obviously you judge the government by their overall balance. And I think the last few months, their lack of ambition in terms of dealing with the because the crisis the crisis in living standards can only be dealt with in terms of imposing losses on 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 the electrical companies and the wider on the elites and you that's, need, that's need, the limit you, you need to go after the one percent the, the theocracies yeah. and the thugocracies exactly. right that's that's and the only that, way. yeah 
And so the, the Socialist Party here, they were willing to engage in, you know, sort of um, EU-backed keen, stimulus, Keynesian stimulus after, after the pandemic, et cetera. But they're not willing to impose, as we saw with the rent controls, as we've seen with their blocking of, you know, wealth taxes, et cetera. They're not willing to impose losses on, on the elites here in Spain. Yeah, that's that's it's a, I remember seeing that um when they said they managed to get people out onto the streets to protest against their own interests. <laughs> like they said that did they realize the wealthy people were paying them to go out to the street to say don't tax me? Uh yeah. you know, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and that has and that is very true. That is very much the case. Look, uh Uncle Martin, thank you so much for taking this on. Where can people check out your own podcasts and your stuff? Yeah, uh Sobre Massa podcast were on I think you know. Actually, oh, no. Uh, I'll put the I'll put the link in. I'll put yeah, the, easier, I'll put, easier. I'll, yeah, I'll exactly. Put, I'll, I'll put the link in, and I'll, if you want, we will link to your recent piece on on right, Jacobin as well on this article. And I hope to talk to you soon. I really appreciate you taking the time this morning, and um, I'm glad one of us has some sunshine in our lives. You know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's beautiful here at the moment. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Listen, listen, folks. Talk to you all very soon. Um, we have more coming up. I probably actually later on today. Uh, we're going to be talking events in the north so uh stay tuned talk to you soon take care bye-bye tony and martin martin and tony speaking to interesting people only it's the echo chamber podcast subscribe now on patreon